Welcome to the Canine Classroom, a podcast for dog training professionals and dog enthusiasts where we discuss training, behavior, and everything in between. We're two friends and dog trainers that share a passion for dogs. We're constantly learning, exploring, and questioning each other's ideas as well as our own so we can become better at what we do. We're here to provide helpful advice, have open conversations, ask questions, get answers, as well as hear from colleagues and experts in the industry, regardless of method and training style. So take a seat and get your notepad out because class is in session. Hey everyone, welcome back to Canine Classroom. I'm Anthony DeMarinis. I'm here with Vinny Viola. And today we have Denise Fenzi with us. Hello. Hey, how are you? All right. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, tell everyone a little about yourself. I'm sure they all know who you are, but let's pretend like they don't. All right. Well, my name is Denise Fenzi. I own Fenzi Dog Sports Academy. So if the name rings a bell, that may be why. I'm a, a dog trainer, a professional trainer. I don't normally work with clients. I haven't in a very long time, except sort of fun stuff on the side. Um, I do dog sports. I'm probably best known for doing dog sports. I'm probably better known within that subcategory for doing them with uh, as few aversives as I can get away with. I'm currently competing in Mondio Ring. Well, that's not true. I am training for Mondio Ring and uh, maybe PSA. Um, both are protection sports with my, uh, Belgian shepherd dog, and I'm training my small terrier mix Brito for fly ball. Hmm. I'm on a local fly ball team and that's a lot of fun. Historically, I've done, um, a, a pretty wide range of sports. So I have dogs that have competed and titled in obedience and tracking. And I guess it's IGP now it's changed names so many times. It was Schutzen back in the day. And then it was IPO. Um, what else? I don't, I don't know. Agility. It, I probably have done it if it exists. Uh, and right now I'm uh, pretty passionate about um, exploring Mondio ring because I've not done it before. Well, I had one dog do it and she got one leg, but I'm learning a lot. And I enjoy that process of sort of starting with a new sport. I have a short attention span and <laughs> um seeing what I can do with it. And I'm having a pretty good time. So that's who I am. Nice. All right. So, um, well, you've had some posts lately that like Vinny and I like just, we end up discussing and stuff. We always discuss like things that we end up seeing. So like we saw some of your posts, um, and, uh, yeah, so we figured maybe we would discuss some of the things that we kind of saw in there. We'll kind of, I guess, see where this conversation takes us a little bit. Uh, All right. So, yeah, we, um, yeah. in particular, you have, you're, you're very good at finding <laughs> a way to almost upset people on both sides at times. And I like that. And you, you, oh, that, you, that's so funny. You, you, um, a lot of times, I, I get, I don't want to say bored, but you see a lot of the same narratives being pushed on either side. And then when someone comes along and kind of throws ones in there that are less likely to be said, just interesting, right? Because it's not, 
the norm it's not just the normal like a versus b it's like all of a sudden you just throw this monkey wrench in um and the one that led me and anthony to talk recently was um correction should be personal oh yeah that was that was one of the ones that stuck out to us and it, and it had us chatting a lot and we found it interesting so yeah i guess we could kind of start there and then just let things because i do want to talk about mondering too that's what i'm doing with my dog for the first that's my first mondering dog so like yeah. to eventually get back to all of that type of stuff and maybe we could even include that in this discussion but this is another example i think of of a question that you say that just doesn't it's not the normal i don't always see that well, one thing I will say, it annoys me when people say unpopular opinion and then say exactly what I would have expected them to say for their community. Unpopular opinion. Don't let your dog meet other dogs on leash. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so, but I do recognize that uh, there are different communities in the dog sports world. So what is common knowledge or well accepted in one is not common knowledge or well accepted in another. So if you are in one community and your unpopular opinion actually reflects the opposite, now that actually interests me. But when I just see people regurgitate what all their friends say anyway, uh, that just seems like a waste of time. I also think I'm really, really good at offending everyone. So you nailed it when you said that. And it's because I really <laughs> try to stand back and I try to see the big picture. And there are, in my opinion, some enormous elephants in the living room of all the different camps. I'm not really talking training methodology necessarily, but there are some things that to me are just glaringly obvious and not discussed. Um, and I, I find that offensive and upsetting that we can't discuss topics even within our own communities. Yeah. That's kind of the motivation of the pod, this podcast, honestly, a lot of the time. So yeah. I'm glad you just said that. Yeah, I do identify much more with the force-free community. I really work hard to not use aversives. Uh, I don't have any big issue with balanced training per se. It's not a choice I'm going to make. It's not where I'm at in my life. But as a result, I don't feel really comfortable taking on things that I think the balanced community needs to deal with. I kind of feel like that's their problem. And anyway, my house needs lots of cleaning. So I'm generally more focused on criticism within the force-free community, not because it's better or worse, it's just because I feel more comfortable speaking up there, but there are some things that come out of the balance community that I think just need to be addressed. The one you pulled out is really interesting um, because nobody agrees with that statement. So I knew that would be like, but I, I, I feel that. Yeah. I mean, I don't really agree with it either. So I kind of wanted to have you on here and argue with yeah. you about it. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting thing to believe that dogs recognize our emotions and respond to the full range. And when I tell my dog, okay, this is the joke. I was at a PSA seminar a couple of weeks ago doing bite sports. My dog left me and went and bit the decoy. And I said to him, I said, I am so disappointed. And his ears flattened and he came back to me and I said, all right, well, let's move on. Like, I don't hold it, but I was so disappointed. And so for the rest of the seminar, they were joking that in a PSA seminar, apparently in a, in a trial, if your dog's misbehaving, you can actually, you'll lose points, but you, people go up and yell out or they'll take their dog physically. And they're like, Denise is going to walk up and be like, I am so disappointed. <laughs> but you know what? It works. And the reason it works is because it's rare. So I don't express a lot of negatives with my dog. And when I do, 
they listen. It's kind of like when somebody's dog frustrates them. And I also did this recently for the first time. My dog's behavior was, in my opinion, a choice. It was something I didn't like. And I quietly took him by the collar and put him in his crate. He did not make another mistake for the rest of that 45 minute session. I don't mean he didn't make a mistake. He didn't choose to leave me to make mischief, which is what he had been doing. Um, and the reason it works is because it's rare. So once people say, well, the dog screwed up, so I put him in the crate. Okay, fine. How often did you do that? A lot. Well, then it's not, you, now you're just wasting everybody's time and you're traumatizing your dog and creating frustration. If you're going to correct, and that's a correction, whether me personally saying enough of that, that's a correction or creating the dog. If you're going to do it, it should be rare. And if it's not rare, then your training setup is wrong. There's something wrong with the picture. Your dog cannot do better or you haven't trained it right, one or the other. But uh, yeah, if I don't like what you did, he went after my uh, my chickens. And I was so disappointed. And I told him in no uncertain terms that those were my chickens. And that was bullshit. And I don't want to see that again. And I kept up on him until I saw his little body say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Okay, that's fine. As soon as I see that we're done, we move on, we go on our life. But you know what? Walking along now, he looks at my chickens and I see him look at me and I say, yeah, it's such a good boy. So if I'm going to get in there, it's going to be personal, probably. And it's going to be rare. I have uh, a question for you. I have a yeah. question about that. Do you feel that setting your dog up in those situations to potentially make that mistake so that way you can use it as like a teachable moment, which kind of you're saying, uh, do you feel like that's something that you would consider doing or, or not? No, I don't do that. I don't set my dogs up to fail. I'm always trying to set my dogs up to succeed. Always. Because in my opinion, that's superior than any corrections ever. But the reality is I'm not that good. So when I'm walking my dog at the ranch, they're always off leash mm -hmm. and I'm walking along and the damn guinea fowl, I, they chase you down. So like, it's not that I went out and put myself in the situation. It came right. to me, but at that point he's off leash. And I tell you, you don't mess with them. Right. Then I'm just gonna be very clear because it's, it's life, right. In life, you can't do that. And, um, I but guess I never set my dog up to fail. Not on purpose. I guess like I'm thinking about it as like, um, I almost feel like I'm thinking about it as, but is there a potential that it could help the dog succeed further? Yes. But like, like on a, like on a ranch or on a farm. I mean, you're going to like, when I bring my dogs to go sheep herding, I mean, there's other livestock there. There's other animals there. Like thing shit's going to happen. Like you're saying. So I just wonder, like, uh, do we just always be reactive in those circumstances or could we use that as a situation to potentially teach around? So in the future, maybe the, the dog will be more successful later is how I'm thinking about it. No, I hear you. The problem with that is that it's very difficult to know at what point the dog is going to struggle, right? Mm -hmm. So now I feel like I would be trying to, it's easy for me to set up success because I know at 50 feet, I'm not going to have a problem. So I can do a lot of work at that point and I'm narrowing the distance. I can't know at the point I'm going to lose my dog. And I don't love the idea of putting my dog in a circumstance where they're set up. I mean, I spent, I've been training dogs for 40 years. That is what we did. Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, right? We always set up for failure. And I think one, it's addictive. 
because I see a whole lot of that going on. Um, two, it feels like a basic breach of relationship. Like I would never do that with another person. I would never take a human child, toddler, and set them up somewhere, like uh, put them next to a hot stove and wait for them to touch it. I just don't think that way. I'm always going to do my best. And the good news is without any effort at all, I screw up enough that these opportunities show up. And I actually see them as a failure of my training, but that doesn't change the fact that the corrections are effective because they're personal. And I didn't like that. And my dog does care. I don't know if my dog cares about pleasing me, but they don't want to displease me. And those are not the same thing. They're really not the same. This is true with people too. I like a status quo relationship. At any point in time, I don't want my husband or my children to be upset with me because that's not status quo. They are not necessarily happy with me at that moment in time, but there's a baseline of everybody's okay. I don't know if dogs can think, gee, I made her happy. I just don't know. But I do know they don't like it when that status quo is uncomfortable and they know when you're not pleased. Um, I also know some people grew up in houses where people screamed and yelled nonstop so that it becomes background noise. It's just the way it is there. It's just sort of uh, water wearing on stone in terms of a person's self. Uh, and I've talked to other people who grew up in very quiet homes. And when the parent raised their voice, it was quite an effect because it was so significant compared to baseline. My goal is that if I raise my voice, it, and I don't just mean, because that happens every day. I go out the door and I'm like, no, 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 no not you, you. That, that, that to me is not a correction and the dog doesn't take it as a correction. I mean, when something specific is happening and I'm saying to the dog, I do not want to see that again. I do not want you to do that again. I'm really angry with you. I have no issues with doing that. Now, if I do that with my little terrier, it's a completely different thing because he's a more friend, fragile, sensitive dog. So it takes so much less to even have him notice. So, you know, who is your dog? Um, I hate, you know, and, the, the difficulty with not speaking to the lowest common denominator, which I don't do, is that somebody will misunderstand. It never fails. And then I'll get an email after this airs and somebody will be like, oh, my God, you were right. My dog did this thing and I went screaming and yelling and he hit the ground and he hasn't done it since. And it's like, that's not what I said. But anyway, um, and then I realize that people often take conversations like this as permission to lose their shit. And that's not what I said. When I do it, I'm actually not angry. It's an act. It's intentional. I'm acting. That's really what it is. If I'm really angry, I have a problem. I, I rarely get angry with my dogs because they're just dogs. But if you're really angry, I think that's a whole nother. That's a whole, that's a, that's a different thing altogether. I'm so done. I, I want to just interrupt you for a second. Um, I, I think for me, when I read when I read a post like this one, and then from ta like talking to you, I notice that some of the disconnect is just the way that I'm thinking of these terms. So I I look at a correction as when I'm in like a negative reinforcement contingency. The dog is making an error, and then I want to show them the correct error, and like they understand what that error is. The way it sounds like you're describing this is like social pressure being used as punishment, like positive punishment, where like, Absolutely. I am punishing a behavior that I don't want, which like, I, I don't agree with. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do agree with which I would do that the same way you would do if there's something I want the dog to know, I don't want you to do that. I have no problem doing that. Um, however, I feel like if you're this is just for me, but if I don't use negative reinforcement contingencies to like correct my dog not 
positively punish them, then I might be in a situation where now the dog is really struggling and then they do something really bad and then I'm using my my relationship with them as a punishment in this situation that's already pretty stressful. Um, so for example, say, so say, okay, so say you're at Mondeering, your dog leaves you and bites the decoy and is now biting the decoy. Now I'm going to scream and run over and no, and then now he's already all jazzed up. Like, I just feel like that's a ton of conflict versus me having some way of maybe using negative reinforcement to get him to out or come back to me or whatever, whatever that might be in that situation. Um, again, but what would you do? I'm just curious. What would your negative reinforcement be? It could be a, it could be something as simple as leash pressure. It could okay. be it could be the decoy stopping. It could be the it could be me, um, I don't know, using a slip lead or a, you know a prong collar or an electric collar. Like I'm not saying that's everything that I'm doing. I'm saying like those are ways to do it versus me running over and screaming. But remember, um, I said I don't run over and scream. Yeah. Yes. I know. Oh. I, I'm saying using personal using a personal punishment on a dog um, as a correction, as defined as like negative reinforcement, not positive punishment. So like, I think when you're talking about it, you're talking about a correction as like punishing a behavior. Yes. I'm just going to say, I think what so you're, that's, I think what you're saying is Vinny is saying that a correction is to help the dog become correct. Is that right? Versus. Yeah. So, so like, say, let's, let's have an example like this. And I think, cause I'm not disagreeing with you. Like I agree with you. I'm just saying, I think when people read it, this might be why there's this disconnect because balance trainers kind of use language. That's the same as the force free side or reinforcement side, but then they mean different things. So if I was teaching my dog to go to place, for example, and I taught him a hundred times, go to place, go to place, go to place. And then I layered light leash pressure over that. Go to place, go to place, go to place. And then I send the dog to place one day and he instead wants to like sniff a, a Cheerio on the ground. And I go, uh-uh. And I use the leash to guide them to the bed, right? Mm-hmm. I would consider that a correction. Mm-hmm. I think it would be like overdone for me to go, no. Why'd you do that? Like, why'd you go to the Cheerio and then get this like personal correction on something that's so it could just be easily like, corrected gently, you know, instead of blowing it out of proportion. Now, if I was doing, I don't know, go to place and the dog like chased the cat or like bit me in the leg or did something egregious, then maybe I would decide, okay, that requires me to like what you're saying, quote unquote, correct. But what I would think of is like punish that. Whereas like, I might not want to positively punish them sniffing on the floor instead of going to place. I want to just add some type of a pressure that I have conditioned them to understand. So like, I would rather you go to that place. Like I'm correcting you. I'm making you correct. I'm showing you the right answer. Um, This kind of leads into another one of your posts um, that I wanted to talk to you about, which like with communication, you know, like, cause this will then be referred to as like, I'm communicating something to you. And I think you were saying like, it's controlling, um, which I don't even really disagree with. Cause yeah, like if, if I'm telling a dog to go to the place and they try to sniff the ground and I go, uh, uh-uh, or I don't even say anything. I just follow up with the leash pressure. Like, am I control? Am I making the choice for them right there? I think I am. Um, but do I consider it like punishment? 
I mean, I you guess. Mean bad or do you mean punished? But the, so the problem with these words we're using, punishment has a scientific definition and it has a decrease. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you just switched. I think you just switched over to the common one. Now, I don't care. But did you mean it to mean reduced behavior or did you mean it to punish the dog as in to make them sorry? Well, because if you're using the neg if you're using leash pressure, for example, for negative reinforcement, like to get to a bed, technically you are still positively punishing the behavior that the dog was doing instead of going to the bed. You're kind of doing okay. both, aren't you? So, yeah. but, but I don't know. Both? I don't. Yeah. So like, I feel like there is this weird gray area where you you are punishing the dog, you are using negative reinforcement, but the dog is not like, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't say the dog is like under aversive control. Whereas if you were to maybe scream or yell at the dog, that's going for the Cheerio on the floor. Do you want me to tell you how I'd handle that situation? Sure. I, I would just leave Even it. This, this situation is just like to, to discuss the good, argument, not for this specific but it's a good you know. example. Because I don't know who'd be screaming and yelling over a Cheerio on the floor when the dog's on a leash. So I would say I would just let the dog eat the Cheerio. I wouldn't even care. And if the dog's on a leash, it's all moot anyway. So anything where there is a personal connection, there couldn't be a leash on the dog or I would just prevent the behavior. To me, that's a management technique. And I don't really think that things that are taught on a leash hold up anyway when you take the leash off. You take the leash off, the dog says, okay, now I'm going to eat the Cheerio. So you still have to train it. I would just let the dog eat the Cheerio and mental note. You don't think you could fade out? You don't think you could fade out leash pressure? I, you think that anything fade taught out? on a leash? You think that? I think it's that's like, a lot I feel like that's similar to someone is. saying that anything taught with food is not going to work without the food there. Like it's, it's just well, a tool. Well, 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 no, no, but that's true. Unless the behavior gets to habit, you will always have to either have the food or the dog thinks you have the food or the dog thinks you have access. You never get rid of the food. So unless you get to habit, like if I teach my dog not to get on the couch, it just becomes a habit not to get on the couch. The dog isn't thinking about doing it or not. But all behaviors are either reinforced or punished for life because the environment provides reinforcers and punishers, mm -hmm. even if you don't. Yeah, so I, I would that, say 100%. the leash is just one more thing. Anything I don't have to use, I'm not going to use because I don't want to get rid of it. And leashes are, my thing is I tell people the leash is a safety backup. If it tightens, you failed. And when I think that way, it causes me to train in a way to prevent the accident in the first place. Now, if my trained dog, my trained dog is told to get on the bed and he's eyeing the Cheerio, I'd be like, hey, 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 hey. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I remember. Good boy. Up you go. Um, because. But so, but what, this is my question, though. You're saying, hey, 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 hey. But then what is that hey, hey, hey backed up with? Like, that's what if you say, hey, 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 and then he goes in and he takes it like you're using social pressure as a tool, aren't you? Absolutely. And what I'm saying is, what if a dog perceives that social pressure as more of a consequence than something like a leash? That's fine as long as you have the leash. My social pressure works whether there's a leash or not. Like, and I, now you're saying you wouldn't you wouldn't consider the hey 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 like a correction though. Um, I don't. Well, the word correction is getting weird. I would call it an aversive in the sense that I'm adding something that the dog would prefer is not there but not in the sense that it's either emo it doesn't have to be emotionally or physically painful. And this is where we get to that word communication. I do believe that dogs can be trained to certain things simply by understanding what we actually want. Oh, you don't want me to go out the front door? Okay, I won't go out. Not because they were emotionally scarred or physically traumatized. Just, hey, 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 don't do that. And the dog goes, oh, you don't want, yeah, yeah, that's it. Come on back in. It's very casual in the same way that with small children, you interact that way. They're not emotionally traumatized. Are you saying, ah, that, that, don't touch that. 
they're just instructed in expectations. And I do think that dogs who have a relationship with a given person actually do strive to understand. So I'm, I'm glad you just brought up that because I was going to actually stop was, you and say, I think for trainers, it's that relationship. Once you have that relationship, because I'm aware of that too. Like my dogs are very aware of my emotions and I don't have to, I don't have to use anything. They just, they know if I'm happy or I'm not. But I feel like a lot of people maybe are lacking that relationship and they don't, the dog is kind of, maybe there's mixed signals. Maybe the dog is like, oh, sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're mad. I don't even really know the difference of why you're you're like that. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with that 100%. Um, yeah. I, I, I just, yeah, pressure sorry. works if the dog doesn't care what you think. Like yeah. the questions I use on my dog, I couldn't use on somebody else's dog unless it was exceptionally soft because I don't have a relationship with them. But it's also what I tell people is my dogs will work for me in the in the ring and they know perfectly well there's no reinforcers. If you have taken a dog to a trial 50 times and my obedience dogs went to many, many trials, there's no way they didn't know that there was nothing in the ring. They did it anyway because it's what we do. It's a habit. They understand it's what we do together. They're not spending a whole lot of time saying, now do I get a cookie? Those days are past. And you know the day those days are past because you you see it, you feel it. Your dog's like, I'm never going to get a toy, am I? Like, you feel it. And from that day forward, a lot of it is what's left with you and the dog. But you could not take my dog in the ring and get that. And the difference is that I have a relationship with my dog and it's things we do together and you don't. Um, but if I give you a ball, my dogs will do anything for you. If I just give you the right equipment, but you don't have a relationship. So that goes away and it all goes away. Yeah, so then I, I guess if if the dog is finding that relationship is valuable, then you're able to wield that as a tool where then you can punish them is, is basically what you're saying. Yeah. As and long as it's rare and it's, and it's. My social media feed is comprised of people who are exceptionally passionate about their dogs. That just who they are. I have, I call them engaged pet parents. They're not your average person who's yelling all the time anyway. So the kind of people on my feed are going to be thoughtful people who are, you know, there's plenty of people who think a prong collar correction is better than a verbal correction. And I would say, well, once that prong collar is gone, that behavior may well be gone, depending on how good you are at fading it. My personal corrections are going to hold up because I take them with me. They're part of my personality. They're part of my communication. Now, mm -hmm. again, do I use them often? God, no, especially in a formal training we're talking, I can count on one hand per month how many times I say to my dog, I really don't like what you just did. Because good training means that the vast majority of the time they're either doing it right or they're trying. And I have very specific things in my head about, I need to know why the dog made the alternative choice. If I don't know why they made the alternative choice, then I have a training problem. So the, and training problems are my problem. But when I watch the dog, look at the Cheerio. I'm sure you've all seen this. Look at the Cheerio. Look at me and eat the Cheerio. Now, the more <laughs> common scenario I would have is dog in the backyard. Cat goes running by. I call the dog. The dog looks at and chases the cat. Like that would be the kind of situation where there's really no question in my mind that the dog knew what I wanted and made an alternative choice that I did not love. And you know, hopefully the better trained your dog is, the more time you put in, the rarer these things are. And also all this is off the bed. Yeah. When you have a little puppy, puppies don't care about you. They don't, you don't have a relationship with your new puppy. You just have a self-interested little puppy. 
So just try to get through it, right? Just try to get through. But eventually you put in all the time, all the training, and suddenly, frankly, you are the sun and you get up and you walk through the house and the dog just orbits you all the time, just want to be with you. Now you can actually, now the dog actually starts to care about keeping things sort of, sort of even. What uh, I'm curious since you're saying that, because I, it's funny, I was going to ask you uh, before about, do you feel that having that relationship or connection with the dog is going to actually impact what you're talking about here. Cause I, I believe that and you like what you're just saying. Uh, what are the things that you like to do or that you feel more trainers should be teaching their clients to do with their puppies to maybe build that relationship and connection? Man, I don't think you can beat time, just time in. How many, the more time I spend focused on my puppy, just focusing, playing, being silly, running around, toys, food, going for walks. I think that's huge. Another one I think is huge is teaching your puppy that you're not going to let bad things happen. So when somebody says, can I approach your puppy and your puppy goes behind you, you stop that behavior. You let the puppy see, no, my puppy's telling you, see his ears, see how he's backing up. He's telling you that right now he's not comfortable. So I'm going to respect that. I think dogs recognize advocacy. Um, so I think advocacy is a big one. And every time somebody tells me, well, you know, I take my dog for a walk and he's gotten all reactive because he got attacked a few times. And then all I can think about is how many times did your dog get attacked? Like at what point did you change your behavior? I would never say this to somebody, but at what <laughs> point, like if you take your dog for a certain walk and they get attacked, you need to change your walk. So things like that, of course your dog doesn't trust you anymore when every time you take him to agility class, place him on the start line, some random dog comes and smacks him from the side, right? Like that's on you if it happens repeatedly. So I think when dogs figure out they have to watch out for themselves, that is seriously erodes your relationship. This is why I tell people don't turn your leash over to a trainer unless you have 100% confidence that your dog is going to come back to you the same or better off than you handing that leash over. Because, you know, back in the day when we handed leashes over, and that would have included me, we did terrible things to dogs. And by the time we handed the leash back, the lesson to the dog is I have to take care of myself because nobody else is doing it. So I think advocacy for your dog and just how much time can you spend with your dog being fun and silly and engaged. I mean, why'd you get a dog? Right. So I, I, I happen to like dogs a lot. So I like spending time with my puppies. There's nothing I'd rather do than spend time. And suddenly you just get really, really important in your dog's world. I've asked like, not on this, I don't think on this podcast, but just in general, like I like to ask people questions and see what their, their answers are just out of curiosity. Really. I've never had, I don't think I've ever had someone really say time. And that's an interesting answer to me, actually. I not, and it's not interesting because it's a weird one. I, it makes total <laughs> sense. I mean, I don't disagree with it. I agree with hundred percent. I just don't think I've ever heard someone really say that. I think so many people, including myself, get stuck in, well, I would do this, this, and this, you know? So to hear time, I think is a really good one, actually, because mm -hmm. it, it encompasses so much. Well, it, it mimics human relationships. So if you know somebody for years and you don't like them very much, but you're just constantly around them for years and years, you develop affection for that person because you understand. 
They may be the nastiest, angriest person on the planet, but if enough years go by, you know why. You know about things that happen, you know, and you recognize that in their heart, they're a good person who's struggling to get out, right? So time is what gave you that affection for that person who you don't even like because they're around a lot. Like it develops a thing. And I think in many relationships, your your spouses, your children, you just spend a lot of time in the house with those people. You may not be interacting, but you're all in the same room. You're watching TV, you're eating meals. And yes, I mean, it's wonderful when you have quality time. But at the end of the day, just time, whether it's quality time or not, is still a pretty significant part of that feeling of the world is right when you're around and the world's a little uncomfortable and you're not around because I'm used to having you around. And I, I kind of throw dogs in that, in that pile. I like that you bring up the human aspect of it because, um, and this is actually related to what we were just talking about. Um, the relationship you have with your dog, you're able to, as you said, you can, you can show the dog that you don't like what they're doing, but you can also show them what you do like that they're doing without having to be like overblown about it. Um, and what I mean by that is you can subtly reward your dog. You can, like, I can look at Zim and be like, good boy. Like, I just say good boy. And like, you see, he like really is like, I'm a good boy, right? And the the th- the thing that I was kind of thinking about with human interactions and and relationship building is if I needed to move and I needed someone to help me move and I went to my neighbors and I was like I'll pay you a million dollars if you could help me move so they're, they're gonna do I it. Be it's, a million, it's a million, million dollars bucks. right they're gonna come over they're gonna be so enthusiastic they're gonna act like my best friend in the world because they're like oh this guy's giving us a million dollars like what an idiot right at the same time if i went to my neighbors and i held a gun to their head and i said hey i'm moving out of here in a week you better fucking come over here and help me move they're also gonna come over (laughs) maybe not as enthusiastically but they're also gonna help me move my shit out of my house right now hopefully i'm scared to ask this right now but hopefully i'm like hey anthony uh you know, for a couple of beers and a slice of pizza, you're going to come over next Friday and, and they help me do this thing. And then, you know, me and Anthony, I'm not giving him a million dollars and I'm not holding a gun to his head, but we're probably going to hang out and have a good time doing something that's shitty, right? Like, there's not fun about it. But then in like three, four or five years ago from now, oh, remember that time we were trying to carry that big, heavy couch <laughs> down the stairs and like, I almost fell and we put a hole in the wall, like, I think that's kind of what you're saying of like, just, just doing stuff, like not even, you know, and, and I, and I say that because I've been on both ends of the spectrum too, where like, I've had the dog that was just listening to me because he was scared to not. Right. But I've also had the dog that is only listening to me because he's like a dopamine junkie addict. And it's like, you know, I went both of those realms and now I feel like I've at least successfully gotten to a point where like, yeah, like I have this relationship where I don't need to offer you a million dollars and I don't need to put a gun to your head. And like, we just do things together and we have experience. And like, I understand you and I understand like, and I think the advocacy thing and just your dog can tell when you can tell, I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's a few things are coming to me. One, I wrote a blog years ago called a party for two. And I feel very strongly about showing positive emotions too. It's not just the negative ones. I show a range. My dogs know a range. And 
when my dog delights me, I tell them. And I yeah. do that even if I understand that that might actually slow down the learning process, because when we stop and have a party, then we're not doing more reps. But I just can't think of any reason to hide it inside when I'm truly just the first time your dog does certain things, you just leap inside with joy. And I just don't see any reason to hold back. So I make sure my dog knows that I'm leaping on this occasion because I think they learn to seek that response because they might be like, wow. But I think it's a form of an addiction like, a, well, that was mm -hmm. pretty cool. And it doesn't happen a lot because I'm not delighted all the time. But when I <laughs> am, I tell them like, wow, I can't believe you did that. You're like the smartest dog on the planet. And I'm sort of beside myself. Um, and I do think they get it. And then the second thing I was thinking about is I think my working relationship with my dog is actually different than my personal relationship. So mm -hmm. in my working relationship, my dogs are largely working for what I have to offer. So food and toys. And as you pointed out, um, I never get rid of them, but I do things to variable reinforcement schedules. And actually right now I'm in a sort of semi trial prepping phase. So there's all kinds of things I'm doing to make that palatable to my dog. Um, and I'm okay with that. I don't think my dogs are working for me per se. Now, if the dog competes a lot, you're gonna have to go beyond that. So both of my obedience champions did get to a point and they expressed it differently where they knew there was nothing coming and there was definitely some new training that had to take place. And I did something that I don't know anybody else who's done it, but I took all food and toys out of training for months. There was no food and toys. So when people talk about making the trial and the training experience the same, I did. I mean, I literally did. The difference is that doesn't mean that I trained like I trial. It means I trialed like I train and those weren't actually the same. And it was really hard. It was really hard. It meant learning how to interact with my dog in a way that was genuinely valuable to that dog. And it worked. Um, I don't want to do it again. It's so much work, but my God, you want to develop a relationship where your dog is truly going, you know what? Cause they could opt out. That was always a choice. If they didn't want to work for me. And you know, when you're a weekend and your dog has not seen a food or toys, they're asking questions. So at that point I would say you could absolutely opt out of work and I would let them leave and they would. And then time went by and we would try. And finally the dog said, you know what? I think I'd rather be out here doing this with you than not for that, for the activity, for the brain work for the fact that I took responsibility for making it really interesting. But until you get to that point, if you have to get to that point, I do think my dogs are working in, in the hopes of getting what I call a classic reinforcer. So that would be food and toys. My personality is not a classic reinforcer. That falls in a different place, which I would put under the relationship um, side of things. But in my home, in my life, I don't use very many classic reinforcers. I do have a cookie jar in the kitchen and for the dogs. And every once in a while, somebody comes to the door and I call the dogs and they come and I'll give out cookies, but it's not a natural response anymore. They're adults. When they're little, all bets are off. When they're little, I have food all over the house on my body. It's, it's nonstop, but we're past that. So at this point, expectations in the house are good behavior and the reinforcers are relationship based and they do include I don't want to see that don't do that they include that and they don't include a lot on the other side not because I think it's bad I don't have a problem with people using food and toys and all but because it's too interfering in the flow of my life and I don't create very much so my dogs have to find a way to live here like a family and that has rules around it and I think they're good with it
I mean, I think they get it. And eventually like, okay, you don't, you, I can do this, but I can't do this, but I, I got it. All right, fine. We're good. When you used to train uh, the way you were saying before, um, where you would re you removed everything, yeah, I know I you had a post. Uh, I don't know how, maybe it was recent. I don't remember, but it was something about using your personality um, when your dog succeeds. I think like using um, expressing your joy, your you know your yeah. your being yourself around your dog in a joyous way. Did you? use that type of uh concept then and did it help or did was that not something you were using in in that type of well, set there were two dogs so the first dog was reka uh reka did not appreciate physical touch so putting my hands on her was not a winner uh, especially when she was working but she did like to bounce but what she cared a lot about was retrieving and so what i did is i took ring objects the opportunity to retrieve a dumbbell became the reinforcer. And mm. that goes in the ring with you. So when you get to the retreat, basically I would say to my dog, wow, that was so good. Let's go retreat. Now she didn't know it's going to happen anyway, but it doesn't matter. I can verbally tie whatever exercise came before the retreat with the judge handing me the dumbbell. So from her point of view, I called that to me. Now she gets to retrieve. She got reinforced in the ring. She liked to jump. I could use that. So I used what are I would call them ring uh, appropriate objects. And those became the reinforcers. No more balls, no more tug. Cause I can't do that in the ring, but she can absolutely fetch a glove or fetch a dumbbell. So that that's what I did with her. When I got to Mondio, um, I used the opportunity to retrieve and frankly, the opportunity to bite, because when you're done with the obedience portion, you go into biting. So the reinforcer comes right with, it's really in some ways easier because the reinforcer comes onto the field. The hard part is getting the dog to actually do many minutes of obedience when they're high as a kite, thinking about the biting part. That's where things get more than a little challenging. With the second dog, with Kisu, I did it differently because she liked physical contact. So with her, it was truly thump, 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 very classic Malinois kind of dog, you know, grab her, shake her, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Malinois. Um, and then that worked for her. And when I went in the ring, I changed, there was other issues too, but I changed the way I interacted. So it was constant interaction and reassurance, hands-on, except when I was in an exercise. And there's a lot of time between exercises. And uh, that that was the ticket for that dog. So, you know, kind of depends which dog and what they want. Mm -hmm. But the important part for me was I took away things that could no longer go into a trial with me. I think maybe I misunderstood earlier, but I understand now what you're saying. So it was that you were removing what you were calling like just your classic reinforcers, uh, but there were still other ones there that you were utilizing. So, okay. I understand now. Got it. Yeah. And it really, it really does come down to what can you take in the ring with you and mm -hmm. how much can you tie love of the activity itself? So we talk a lot about building up value. Transfer of value is one way of saying that, right? So we heal, you get the ball. We heal, you get the ball. And certainly you, you learn to love to heal, right? Because it's tied to other things. Um, the more I can do that with any dog, the happier I'm going to be. That's why my training looks so different than other people's. It's very bizarre. Like I don't go heel, halt, heel, left, turn, right. I just don't do that. For me, it's heel, spin, 
run away, lie down, sit, go over that jump over there. And while you're there, pick up that object. So it's much more thinking. And the reason I do that is because I think it's innately interesting to dogs to use their brain, at least my, my breed, my dogs. I think they care very much about thinking. And I find that when I turn all of training into a fast paced game where they haven't got a clue what's going to happen next, I think that is a reinforcer itself. The, the having to listen, like I tell agility people, if you take your dog out and they say, well, he just starts to do his own thing. I said, have you ever just stopped giving cues? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, how many obstacles do you think your dog would do before they suddenly said, mom, come on, it's fun, it's fun. How many obstacles before your dog realized agility is only interesting if the dog is being directed? A dog, if you just set them loose on an agility course, does not just run 20 obstacles. They run three. And then they're like, um, well, what are we doing here? So it only is interesting for both parties if it's a mutually engaged in activity. And that only works if the dog is listening to the owner. But if the dog doesn't know that, if nobody ever told the dog, did you know you actually need me? Then the dog isn't going to know that. My dogs know they need me. They know that without me, you can chew your toy. Absolutely, you can sit there and chew your toy. But if I join you, I can make that toy way more interesting simply by telling you out, down, out, bite, out, sit, bite, 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 bite. That is way more interesting for my dog than sitting with a toy by themselves doing what they want because they're not using his brain. When you also cultivate a game with them rather than just an object. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I was just going to say, you know, when I was first learning um, about agility, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, um, I was so concerned because I, first of all, I didn't research agility and I, I just jumped in it, like not knowing anything. And I didn't, I was so concerned about getting to the point where I could run the course in full without a reward because when you're competing you don't have the reward on you i was so concerned and hung up on it and couldn't comprehend like how that was going to be possible and once i started seeing this the teamwork aspect because i was the first time i ever really participated in a dog sport with with a dog um it was my first dog that i was doing sports with it was a very different connection and relationship uh, that we developed together. And over time, I started to realize and notice how the game itself, because he would get so excited, the game itself became the reinforcer. So realistically, if I go out and do agility, I don't need to reward him. Like as soon as I set everything up in my yard, for example, and he sees them, he is like, jumping for joy I, and it was funny because actually i noticed it the other day i haven't done agility in a few months uh, because of my dog's back and so it was the first time in two months i took the equipment out and i mean to see his face light up and see it was so uh like it was just so fascinating and it was kind of funny to just see his response but like i didn't at the time i didn't put it together that the, that it, we were really developing a game that ended up becoming the reinforcer the whole time. Yeah, the I think you called it a puzzle. The, the, the puzzle game aspect of it, the using the brain, the teamwork aspect of it, and the classic reinforcer, the food and toys and aspect. I don't think we can ever really know 
which is doing what, right? We can't know because we tend to use them all in a, in a pile and I don't have a reason to pull any one thing out. But I do think all of them are super potent. And when you lose one, you got the rest. So your dog will figure out that there is in a competition ring an order and a, and a, a routine. You're not gonna get the game to go into the ring with you. That's, that's not gonna happen. They're, they're not dumb. So eventually they figure out. And the second thing they're gonna figure out is that you don't have a toy. They're going to figure that out and you don't have your food. But what you may well have left is the big picture. It's this thing we do and it's amazing. And I feel this certain way when I do this amazing thing. You wouldn't want to do 20 trials in a row with no reward. That'd be just foolish because why would you mess up that three-pronged package, right? Of all those, the smartness and all this. But it's good, I think, for us to be aware that dogs are not only working for the food and the toys. And that that relationship is a thing. And you want your dog to become aware that they really can't do the sport without you. At some point, you want that to become something the dog becomes conscious of. And there's different ways you can do that. And that the game, the puzzle is a huge part of it. You know, I actually personally need that as well. I have a hard time competing with dogs when they know the exercises and I'm just trying to accomplish some goal. So, you know, when you get to the top level and you have to just competing for some reason, I really have a hard time with that because I'm not teaching anything new and your brain has to constantly try to think things up and at certain sports. So when I was doing obedience, uh, you need to get, you know, 198, 199 out of 200. If you don't, you're not going to win and you need first or second place to get points to get those kind of scores means that your dog has to be pretty much perfect all the time in practice. And then you go in the ring and you can lose two crooked sits throughout the entire seven-minute routine and still get a 199, right? So that's, at that point, errors are so rare that I'm like, well, what the heck am I rewarding? I mean, if I was rewarding correct behavior, it would be nonstop. And I'm not punishing incorrect behavior, so what's left? And what I tell people, what's left is time. So the rewards are complete. They're not dependent on anything whatsoever. It's just every minute or two, I go and get a ball and we play ball, but it's not tied to the work. It's just keeping the the love of the work and the package in there while I try to think up mental games, which does get harder. Um, and I keep my personality, but I actually consciously remove the relationship between the quality of the work and the reinforcer, because I expect pretty much perfect work when I'm at that level. At this point in my training, I got lots and lots and lots of things to reinforce because there's lots and lots and lots of things that need work. But eventually you get to the point where your dog really should know all the work. And I tell people, you should actually be surprised when your dog fails. Like what, what just happened there? Um, I got a ways to go, which is good. Cause I, I like this phase of training a lot better. And are you saying that, I guess, because like in, um, like in certain sports, it's the same routine. Most sports, the vast majority so, of sports are patterns. So, cause I was going to ask, cause like, uh, I mean, like in agility, for example, obviously you're teaching certain behaviors, but at the end of the day, jumping uh, over something, going, taking, you know, going around another jump, doing the dog walk, and then all of a sudden that's going to change to something else uh, in a different order or like in Mondeering, both you and Vinny are doing that. So uh, like that is very, uh, there's no, there's no pattern uh, necessarily to that, I guess. Well, maybe there is, but like, there's different setups all the time. The distractions are different. The The setup is always different. So there's always going to be something that you're going to need to practice around uh, or teach the dog uh, around that's going to just look totally different. Like Vinny's 
uh, trial that he was at in one of the videos. He was on like a, what were you on? Like a little rocking horse or something. Oh, like while, a rocking horse, yeah. While he was telling his dog to do positions, you know? So like, is that is that kind of what you mean, I guess? Um, well, one of the reasons I gravitated towards Mondia was the lack of pattern. So mm. French ring, it's always the same every time, right? Obedience, it's always the same every time. So there are some sports where once your dog knows all of the exercises, it really does get hard yeah. to make them. I'm not saying you can't add distractions to your obedience. Of course you can. But at root, you're doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. Mondio, it actually depends on the exercise. So at the end of the day, position changes are always position changes. It's right. still sit down stand. That does not change. However, it's still interesting because if you're suddenly out of sight, that is not you have to train for that. And what's challenging about, in my mind about Mondio is just trying to think of all the things a judge might think up. What I want to teach my dog is different. What I want to teach my dog is you only need to worry about one thing, sit down, stand. That's it. Now, no matter what I do, it's sit down, stand. Contact healing for defensive handler. You need to know two things, stay on my body and bite a person who hits me. That's it. Now, my job is to show the dog all the way that that might happen. And like, so for this last weekend, what I was teaching him is the only decoy who can hit me is the one who's nearby. So I don't care what the one who's at a distance is doing, how crazy they are. There's one thing you need to worry about. So there's all these sub skills that you would absolutely want to teach. But eventually, in theory, he will know that. And then defensive handler, it might look different and have a lot of kind of variations. But if I do my job well, the actual exercise really does not change. He has to learn that I might carry things. I might put things down. I might walk forward. I might walk backwards. I might turn right. Like there's some finite number of things. It doesn't matter if I'm carrying an umbrella, like the face attack. Yeah. Okay, fine. The accessories change, the face attack. So some things are the same. What I think is the hardest in Mondio is the send away because every field looks different. And that is really hard. The concept of straight is extremely difficult to teach. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think most of us, whether we mean to or not, are actually using targets of various types, whether the fence line, whatever. So I think that's um, a really, a really. My dumbass was using trees and then I got, we got a new field and there's like a fucking tree right in the middle of like the field. And I was like, oh no, they warned yeah. me too. So I wasn't doing it for long, but uh, yeah. You don't so, know uh... which way, which, you know. <laughs> yeah, which direction you're you. going. Four different directions they could send you in the center. So I think that is a really challenging um, exercise. And it's one that I would go into a trial saying, I'm hoping for the best. Like I trained it for the best I can. And I it, totally see that on any given day, my dog might look the wrong way as I send them and just goes who knows where. It's humbling though, because I feel like it, it opens up this realization of a lot of times, at least for me, I think my dog understands the thing, but like, Mondio kind of pokes a hole like oh yeah he just understood this one concept maybe in this one scenario with this one setup and it really wasn't it wasn't like, generalized. He, he didn't really understand it at all yeah he was not generalized at all and like just the level of generalization that's kind of what drew me to it and then also just I get bored of stuff easily I think that's what you said like if it was the same thing over and over again I would be like I can't not that I'm sure for some people they like that but I'm too all over the place to to thrive in that type of an environment. I had several uh, Shih and three dogs and I loved doing it because at that time it was new and new is hard. 
So the last thing I needed was complexity. I had my hands full just trying to figure out what the hell I was doing. But I've been around now a lot longer. Um, so now to do uh, IGP, I would have to focus on extreme precision because that's what where people are at, which I admire, but I'm not feeling it right now. Like I like to train for it to the level I feel like training for it. And what I see out there is frankly, some fantastic, beautiful work that I'm not sure I want to strive that hard when there's a sport more like um, PSA or Mondio where it's a lot more kind of wild and random. Uh, and that's just kind of intriguing. I, you know, it's just different and, and new is um, interesting to me. So, you know, something for everyone for different reasons. But Mondio, something you said, my dog is pretty well perfect in my yard most of the time. There's nothing like getting out of your training yard, which I know, and going to a seminar or something. And suddenly, you know what? That pristine performance at home does not look the same. <laughs> when you're at some field or something and there's like a bunch of people in the room and your dog is shaking and you've never seen your dog like that. It's like, well, <laughs> this is information. Like, that's how I take it. Wow. This is information. And it's really important at this point in my career with this dog that I work with decoys outside, because that's the only way I can get the information I need that will tell me what's between me and competition. I, I don't have access. Otherwise I need him to see groups. I need him to see new people. I need him to see a um, new style of being. I need to see him when he knows there's a decoy standing there and we have to do obedience. Um, that does not look like what I see in my house, um, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, for sure. I was going to first ask if there was something, Denise, you wanted to discuss that on your mind about anything, or if you guys wanted to touch on brief industry stuff oh that's such a big <laughs> isn't it mm -hmm. uh, you guys probably know this like i'm such a an advocate for respectful interaction and communication with people uh and i will talk about that at any turn because i feel that i've been impactful in this industry and i feel one of the reasons i've been impactful is for a long time now I've been talking about how important it is to listen to people and to interact, not to change them, but to understand. And my world is so much richer for that, for having opportunities. I don't have to curate my friends according to their training. Mm. That's kind of huge, right? Like in life, I don't want to curate that way. And I, I so hope people can do reflection on this matter and just ask themselves, are you sure you want to write off all these people? Any, for any reason, are you sure you want to write people off quickly? Let's slow down and, and don't, don't go into relationships to change people. Go into relationships because people are interesting and to understand them. And if somebody's behavior is offensive, so offensive, whether to dogs or to people, then I walk away. I'm not there to change them, to shame them. That's not my job in life. That's for them to work out. I walk away from those people and that's my choice. And I'm totally good with that because there are things I've seen that I don't want to see and I'm not okay with. And I'm actually pretty willing to speak up uh, in environments where I think things are happening that shouldn't happen, but I can walk away. But when we're talking about just normal differences of any type, I try, I like to hear people. I like to hear what they have to say. I just think that's really interesting. And sometimes then they want to hear what I have to say. And I think over time, you remember we talked about time with people? 
there's a soaking process that happens when you're around other people who are listening and you are influencing each other in quiet, subtle ways. And I want to influence people's training. And that's not the same as changing their training. And it's not the same as changing them. It's working towards a place where we value clarity and happiness with the team, a happy dog, however we're going to get there. And to me, that means clarity. I mean, that more than anything, the dog knows exactly what you want. Your pieces were small. And I, I would, I will talk about that forever. How important it is to me to, to work the industry in that direction. It's just making me think about a lot of things, I guess, because of the way I've um, changed as a person and a, a like in this profession. And I used, you know, when I was a newer trainer, I looked at training tools as this, um, you know, a, you know, very horrible thing. And people who used them were categorized in my head that way. And then um, once I started to get like once I really put myself in some uncomfortable positions to learn about that stuff, um, it changed a lot of what I thought uh, or also changed me just to be more understanding and to actually listen and hear what people have to say, regardless regardless if I was going to do those things or not, you know, um, I think that's just so important, especially in the industry right now, because I really like it. Whenever I sit and watch someone present on something that I don't do and I hear, I just hear them for what they're saying and who they are in that moment and what, you know, what they're presenting. There's so many things that I, I realize. wow, you know, I was, I never thought of it that way, or I never looked at it that way. I may, whether or not I agree with the person's another story, but just to understand how they're looking at it or understanding something. What's nice is once you have a basic relationship with a person um, where you listen to them and they listen to you, what's kind of cool is then you can very neutrally express your concerns and then listen to the response. And it, it's, it can lead to agree to disagree it can lead to, I want to think about it. It can lead to a lot of things. But if you don't have that baseline ability to take in the information, it doesn't, doesn't have to change your choices. It doesn't even have to make you feel better about things you don't like. Um, I see dog training things I don't like. One, I don't do them. And two, I don't think you should do them because I think they're harmful and hurtful and unnecessary. But if I have a relationship with a person I can actually tell them that in a neutral way and still like them as a person and just say, well, here's the problem I have with the way you're doing this. You can do it this way instead. It's a lot less stressful for the dog. And I, I'm struggling to understand what your technique brings to the table that this one doesn't. Help me understand that. And from there, but that's a very, I'm not angry. And they can tell me what they think. And they can choose to get defensive or or not. But the better I know them and the more they know I come from a good place, the less likely they are to become defensive. Um, and who knows? Maybe they go and think about it. I had somebody send me a note. I hadn't seen her for 10 years. We were in an IGP club together and she was pretty hard-handed. 
And she sent me a note 10 years later saying she couldn't solve this problem with tools. And she wanted to know if I had ideas for not using tools and, you know, try to hold me down. Like I'm all over that question, right? Like I, I do have ideas for you. And here's what I think is happening. And here's what I want you to give it a shot, right? Those relationships come from respect. And it can be years and years and years that go by before you even know it. But, you know, I get an incredible amount of feedback over years, years and years, from people saying, I want you to know you made a difference in my life. And it might be dog training, it might be something else. See, the little guy did not uphold his end of the bargain. Little dog, <laughs> here, I actually heard that. <laughs> yeah, the agreement was, come here. You weren't going to bark, remember? I that said, guy needs a correction over there. Let's go. That's, that's <laughs> the conversation. <laughs> um, but I think the ability to see long-term, that maybe we see eye to eye, maybe we don't, maybe we agree to disagree and we run in our own circles. Maybe we're friends. But in five years, that open and acceptance at least prevents both of us, including myself, from digging ourselves in so deep that we could never come out the other side because we'd have to admit we were wrong. And after being too traumatized, nobody admits they're wrong. Like it just gets so bad. Whereas when you're kind of like, yeah, we don't agree. And actually, I think that's an amazing place to be, to be sitting with another person, leaving the conversation not in agreement and still being okay with them. I think that's incredible. And I think it's a tribute to some qualities that I love to see in people. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, yeah. I appreciate I appreciate your answer. And uh, I I know I said this to you a few weeks ago when I reached out to see if you would come on here. But one thing I, I want to just say it because I think everyone that's listening should know is one thing that I uh, admire that you do is you take the time to like or even respond to people in our profession who don't have a big following. Um, like I know you have seen my random like videos on things once in a while, and you'll maybe send a note or just like the post. And I think there are a lot of um, just everyday trainers like myself who have a lot of respect for that, um, you know, and whether that's because maybe whether we, it's because we admire the person or have respect for them in their work but I just, I've always noticed you doing that to other accounts. I, I, you know, have seen, you know, you comment and like things and there aren't, I don't think enough uh, big name professionals like yourself that take the time to do that. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for that because I, I do notice that, uh, that you do that. And I think that uh, the people listening to this should know that if they don't pay attention, that that's something you do. Cause I think that you also show a lot of work like you are yeah. putting out yep. yourself yeah like that's the other you know, thing too is like you're just, very transparent you yeah. you'll go on a live and just go on there and start talking like i love it um <laughs> and you just post your work and i think i wish, that, I wish people felt they could i wish yeah. more people felt confident but we all know why people don't post the work right so yeah yeah but you know what anthony something i'm thinking about what you said I don't see a very strong relationship between the size of the account and the quality of the training. And so when I see smaller accounts that are showing good quality work and explaining things well, I, I want to call them out because they deserve to be acknowledged for good work. 
Yeah. And some of those accounts don't have very many followers, but then I look at other accounts that are really, really large. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason they're really, really large, the size of your account is very loosely correlated to the quality of your training. Yep, I agree. It's correlated agree. to other qualities that have to do with what people want to watch. There's a show, there's um, there's a way of interacting that drives up engagement. There's all these kind of things. And some of those qualities I don't love. Um, I don't love creating drama to get numbers, but it really works. And that does not interest me. So those accounts, eh, you know, some of them are good content, but the little accounts often are more raw. And I think um, honestly offer more value and would be worth it for people to investigate less show and more about like what it really is to be out here. Yeah. Uh, I wish more people would show their work, but I understand why they don't because I, I mean, I, I can tell you, I've had terrible things done to me. Um, people can be really malicious when they get a hold of something and they can take it out of context and they can do all kinds of things to something because just because some people like to do that for some reason. And I have to say this, the percentage of people who are problematic in our industry is actually quite small. And you'll know this because if you start paying some attention and you start recognizing the names, you'll realize it's actually only 50 names over and over and over again. And they're always in the drama. It does not matter what the drama is or who it doesn't matter. And that actually is reassuring to me because when I realize that it's just a small number who can't stop themselves, that makes me think, that means 95% are rational thinking. You know, they may fall all over the place on all of these issues, but they're not in it for just drama. And that kind of gives me a lot of hope. When I was saying like small account, like obviously, like there are some, there are some small accounts that like their work is amazing. You know, there's someone that has a small account that I learned from who, I mean, is just so freaking brilliant and smart. And, uh, you know, I think everyone should know about that individual's work, but that's not who the person is. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of really saying more about like, I, like myself, I'm like, just, you know, one of, I'm a local trainer. I don't have a big platform. Um, I really, you know, don't want to have a big platform. I don't like social media very much. Um, Half the time when I find out things on social media, it's because like maybe like someone like me and Vinny are sending stuff back and forth to each other. And that's how I find out, you know, but um, I I just wanted to really, you know, just to you, like th that you're paying attention and you're looking at at those things, because I agree. I think there are there is, you know, some trainers who have big accounts who like, you know, their training is whatever it is. And so, yeah, but just to say that, you know, I noticed, I've noticed it for a while that you take the time to watch people's work and to, you know, reach out um, and compliment them. Well, you get more of what you reinforce. And especially I've observed there are some balanced accounts that are changing. They're shifting. Some of them are bigger and they're starting to say things that make me want to fall off my chair. Like seriously, uh, talking about emotional lives of dogs rather than correcting behavior. And the, the thing that's amazing is watching the shift, watching a person say something that I'm quite sure they would not have said a year ago. Absolutely sure. And cheering them on. Like 
I don't know where you're going to land with all this, but I love that you are open and learning and exploring and trying to understand different things. Do it with it what you will. And those people I reach out. I reach out to them directly and I say, I've noticed a change in your account. If you ever have any questions about a force-free question perspective, I'm going to answer it to the best of my ability, honestly, for you. So you can ask me the hard questions and I will give you as balanced an answer as I can come up with. And sometimes they take me up on it. And um, I love that. I love those relationships. And again, they can do what they want with it, but I like that they can ask and they will ask me and I'll tell them what I think. Yeah, you just answered my, I was just going to follow up and you just answered it. I was just going to say, like, do you think that because you um, maybe reach out or you have, you kind of extend, I guess, what's the phrase? You extend the olive branch or whatever, like to someone that, uh, that maybe that's like where you can actually create more change for the thing that you're in support of versus, you know, constantly having the pitchforks and everything out and saying, bashing what a horrible trainer this person is. Maybe if you actually just, you know, are willing to take the time to listen and hear someone out and see what their work is and what they believe or whatever, and then reaching out to them. Or I mean, I try. Um, and I've made some poor decisions. You know, I've reached out to some people that I Wait, shouldn't. You mean to tell me that you're human also, Denise? Oh, so very human. Uh, tried to make some connections that, you know, didn't work for various reasons. And I'm actually okay with that. I, I accept that, you know, I don't know. Do you know the story behind me and um, Sailor Jerry, the dog trainer on uh, Instagram? I don't, right, I don't even know. I don't even know who that is, to be very yeah, honest. You should. you should go look for her. Um, so we were on Inst uh, TikTok a couple odd years ago. I just got on TikTok. I didn't understand that the platform, I just didn't understand, right? I was brand new, like one weekend. I still don't understand it, so you're good. <laughs> well, it's, it's better that way. But anyway, I said something I don't remember about structured walks. I said, I just, I don't get it. Like I'd never even heard of a structured walk before I got on TikTok. I didn't know what it was about. And, mm -hmm. and so it was explained. I'm going, you know what? Dogs have such like boring lives that I don't, I don't want to make the dog walk at my side. Well, anyway. So Jerry picked that up and just reamed me. I mean, just came after me. And all her followers came after me. And the next thing I know, my account is blowing up with all these angry people. And I'm like, who are you? And where have you come from? Like, what's happening? But that, that's a TikTok thing. I just, I didn't know because that doesn't happen in Facebook and Instagram. It doesn't go like that. So I sent a little note to her. And I don't remember what I said, but I was really even like, can be different perspectives, da, 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 and she just slammed me. And then, what? Fine. And then, I don't know, six months later, something came up and she was pretty badly mistreated. And so I went on alive and said, This is not okay. Like, you don't, you don't treat people like this. You don't do this. And I was basically defending her because what was happening was wrong. And it really didn't matter if she liked me or did it, really just didn't matter. So a few months later, she reached out and she said, I need to apologize. I've been wrong. I was wrong in the way I treated you. And I'm like, yeah, great. No problem. I, I don't hold things. So a couple of weeks later, she's like, I have questions. Mm -hmm. And then over the next year, I mean, the, the change, it, it's much more than training method. Her whole philosophy of life evolved as she decided to learn and research. And it wasn't because she was going to become a positive trainer. It's because she wanted to understand she still identifies as a balanced trainer. I'm good with that. Um, but she is a very thoughtful balanced trainer who's come a long way. And I, I would 
count her as a good friend. And I really enjoy our relationship. And we chat quite a bit. And if she's unclear about something, she's quick to reach out. She's a lot of people working for her. They're quick to reach out. And those kind of experiences mean a lot to me because they're about just letting people work stuff out on their own pace. And and you might get a friend out of it. So that's cool, right? In life to come Mm -hmm. up with a new friend. Um, So experiences like that are important to me. So anytime I see somebody who I think is just trying to understand and think, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out if I can and say, I just want you to know I'm here. If you have questions, that's it. And it's a private note, not public. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they can do what they want with that. Well, thank you very much for coming on. This was great. This is a cool conversation. I liked it. Yeah, it was fun. I'm glad you guys invited me. Well, we hope you'll come back again. <laughs> yeah, the next time I say something that kind of, you know, gets you a little up in arms, call. No, it wasn't up in arms. <laughs> it wasn't up in arms. We we just No, it was interesting. It was interesting perspectives. Yeah, I mean like I'll try harder. I tell I'll offend everybody eventually. I'll try harder. I'm not triggered enough by your post. Not yet. <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Canine Classroom. If you like the show, make sure to smack that like button, share the show with your friends, and give us a rating. Until next time, class dismissed. Class dismissed.